Hi everyone, and welcome to the second season of Anthropologist to Go. My name is Katrine Perhus. I'm currently a PhD of anthropology and an editor of Communitas. I'm happy to say that yet again, I've had the privilege of being accompanied by more brilliant scholars from the Department of Anthropology on my walks around Aarhus, and I'm so glad to have you walking along. Today, I'm joined by Professor Lotte Meinert, who's a personal mentor of mine and a renowned scholar in her field. She's worked in Uganda for many years on all kinds of post-conflict issues. Currently, she's writing a book on the mountainous land of northern Uganda. We discuss ownership, not only to land, but also to the knowledge we produce and the potentials of sharing and collaborating. Enjoy. Okay, so my name is Lotte Meinert, um, and I'm a professor at the Department of Anthropology here at Aarhus University. Um, and I'm doing, I love teaching, but at the moment I'm doing mainly research projects and research capacity building projects. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm very engaged in those different research projects in, in Uganda, where I work myself, and in Africa, where many of my PhD students work and, and colleagues. Um, but, but I do also teach, and today I have been, um, been reading exam papers, uh, project descriptions, and uh, discussing it with other examiners. So in a way it's been an unusual day because this is, I mean, otherwise this semester I've been mainly um, writing uh, chapters, editing a book that is soon coming out. Um, yeah, on, um, it's called configuring contagion so it's also been very thematic right now right. but ironically it's not about covid it's about um, diseases that are not you know infectious in the traditional biological way but things that spread in epidemic patterns diseases phenomena um, but still, it's, I mean, the press really wanted it to come out this year because they say people are really reading about contagious phenomena. So we have, I've been working hard together with Jens uh, Seber, editing it and colleagues from, from various places. And what, what is a, an example of a phenomenon that is contagious in this epidemic, epidemic pattern? Yeah, well, maybe I'll, I'll talk about my own yeah. chapter together with uh, Lars Williams, who mm. you also know. Um, and he's his PhD research in, in Uganda. And my research in Uganda around trauma after war, mm. um, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, where, um, you know, Lars followed people who have tried different kinds of 
medical treatments, um, therapy, narrative therapy, and also following people into their church practices and prayer practices. So our chapter in, in, in that book um, is about um, Mm. Well, okay, now actually we have two chapters. I was beginning to talk about the other one in the in the time workbook. It's that's another one. Um, but but um, the idea for this for for this book is it's about how um, having experienced violence, maybe not on your own body, but in your family in your neighborhood is somehow it sits with you it it's contagious in that way mm -hmm. it influences you deeply mm. and and stays with you affects the way you you act perhaps the way you relate to others mm. um, so that's one one example of how in a way violence can spread in in rings like in water that has effect over history over time and in relationships um, mm. but so this interest in contagion also sounds because as I, as I understand it you're you're a medical anthropologist so how how did that sort of come about because you had a long career now and You've done stuff on uh, HIV, AIDS, mm -hmm. um, done stuff. Well, all kinds of post-conflict things. Right. Uh, yeah, but it's true. I, um, I started, w well, I think actually my interest in anthropology has always sort of, the field has taken me there. Mm. I didn't say, I want to be a medical anthropologist. I want to be a, this kind of anthropologist. I, I think I knew I wanted to be an anthropologist quite early on, but not what kind. And, and really, having done research in Uganda for many years, I've had the privilege to actually let things come. Mm. Like the study with missionaries was not something I planned. They came into my field and then I said, okay, then let me try to understand what it is that you are doing. But medical and medical anthropology in a way also came to me because I was... Um, I went to Uganda with, with Anton, my partner, um, because he got a job there. I had planned to go to Indonesia to do fieldwork on uh, Vyangolic uh, puppet theater and more kind of political anthropology actually. And then, as an introduction, he took me to meet Susan White, who is a main figure in my, um, who's my intellectual mother, in a way. Um, and then I, I heard her talk about what might be a possible project in Uganda. Um, and then I went there, having this idea that I would do something about women and children. But then it was at the height of the HIV epidemic and it was like 
it was enormous at that time. It was 93. So trying to focus on something else, it was just yeah. smashed into my head and whole being. Mm. So I just felt I had to to understand what was going on in that field. And that's how my first project on on, on HIV AIDS and use and communication started. So that's how I got into medical anthropology. Mm. So it wasn't any formal training in medical anthropology. It was sort of following. Yeah, I had to, I had taken a course in in uh, in medical anthropology, but more I had really been more interested in general anthropology, I would say, and. Um, and I never thought I would be an Africanist. I mean, I had traveled in South America and Asia, and mm, Africa was not, uh, you know, just hadn't been on that much on my radar. And then um, going there, I, I, I became very fascinated and uh, and I still am I mean yeah. keep keep coming back to Uganda mm -hmm. to do my my projects uh, so right. coincidence yeah. <laughs> seems to be important yeah. yeah and 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 relations that take you to a new place so it was Anton my partner who took me to Uganda and meeting Susan and then meeting people there that, you know, that keeps me, keeps me there, I think. Right. Yeah. And um, how, how many years have it been now when, where you've been returning? At, at times also living in Uganda, right? That's well, right, yeah. Been. Well, the first time was in, in, in 93 when, uh, when I did my master's field work. And then, ever since, I mean, we, I've been, been back for a period of field work mm. every year. Uh, and, and we lived there for a total of, of seven years, actually. Okay. Uh, had our children there, and they went to school there part, part of the time. Mm. So it's... In a way, it's another home, yeah. um, and that's also why it's right now. It's it's very strange to know that people are really getting into a very serious third wave of of COVID, while things are beginning to be normal, open up here, and there's very little we can do from here because. A lack of, you know, infrastructure, hospital beds, oxygen doesn't even sending money doesn't even help, no. right? So yeah. yeah. But what do you think is? I mean, now you said it was a second home, right? And and uh, so wh what is it about Uganda that you think sort of has shaped you? How do you? How do you feel that within you? Um, I think one of one of the things I love about Uganda and Ugandans is 
the way they take relationships deeply serious. Mm. That's the far, that's more important than anything. And wealth in people mm. is that's real wealth. You know, if you have relationships, connections, then you can you can uh, you can live your life fully. Uh, and and I mean, I re I really think that they have a good sense of that. Uh, and and that's something I really I really take with me. Um, rem trying to remember that mm. that cultivating relationships, which I think they are so good at. I mean, yeah. sometimes when I get deep into into work and when I'm here, and I get messages from Uganda, just checking on me, how are you? Um, remembering each other, you know, stuff like that. I think. It's kind of basic, but it's really important. Yeah. Um, and and always, you know, coming there, always being welcomed. Mm. Uh, mm. It's just quite astonishing and, you know, something to learn from. I often feel that I'm a little bit too busy to take care of all those who want to visit and uh, need this need that um but but i mean my friends there they always take time to host me and talk to me and mm. so I, I try to learn from that yeah but i mean is uh is it more difficult to do here then is there something about danish society in the danish context that that makes that difficult to hold on to you think I think that, I mean, I can talk for myself that my, my calendar is just so busy, you know, that finding, for example, today, finding 15 minutes to talk to someone about an exam paper was like, <laughs> difficult. And in a way, it just shouldn't be. Mm. Um, and there's, there's also something about, you know, So when I have an appointment with someone, uh, I think about, you know, the next one I have and that we need to be back right at 5.30 when I have these talks with Oslo and um, whereas, I mean, some of my, many of my Ugandan friends are just experts in dwelling in the moment and then if things are interesting and develop, then it takes as long as it takes. Mm. And if nothing happens, if she doesn't show up or that doesn't happen, then yeah. then that's it. Then, And I think that <laughs> attitude to time and life is, is kind of inspiring. Yeah. And something that I think at this time, in this part of the world, is a little bit in danger. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I I very much sympathize with that. I uh, I feel it myself, oftentimes. But um, and in your, you, I know that you're very busy in your professional life. But now you've been able to take up some time to to write and to do research. Yeah. Um, and you talked about the book coming up. Mm -hmm. Are there 
what what other things in your work life are sort of occupying you right now and um, yeah. yeah well i i mean i got this grant to write a book about my ik material in in the you know from the ik community up in northern uganda where i've been working for the last 10 years yeah. uh, on and off not full time but a couple of times per year um, so right now i have it, it's such a rich and broad material that i'm right now i'm trying to find out okay so where to focus mm. and um because we did a project on on land and land conflicts in northern uganda i have a lot of material about about that and i and i right now the the book in my head is called sharing mountains and it's about principles of sharing and sharing um landscapes uh, sharing mountains with with other people with other species uh, and as a and i'm thinking that you know this this the way the system of sharing in in ik community is sort of based on old uh, hunter-gatherer principles but also the way of sharing sharing land is um, based on entrustment so you you use the land that you can use to feed your family but you cannot claim more than you can cultivate um, which obviously has a kind of leveling effect so that you know you can't become a big huge capitalist because if you can't use show that you're actually using cultivating the land and there are no tractors there so you actually you have to have hands you have to have people right people as wealth um, and i think this idea of sharing land territory is is quite an interesting one uh, that is not was not that uncommon but it's becoming extinct i mean we are it's private property mm. you have a deed for your land and uh, and they all become square <laughs> yeah. because you can measure them you can write it down on paper and you can trade and 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 in Uganda, at least in this part of Uganda, you can you you can actually only own and keep it if you have a kind of presence there. Mm. So if if others start using your land and you haven't been there, and they have been there for eleven years, then they gain rights to have access to that land. You don't, they don't own it. Nobody can own, but you can gain rights to to access and use of of resources. And it's another way of thinking about the globe. You know yeah. that that you know we're just here for a short time using resources, and then we yeah. disappear, yeah. and then others take over. Right. Um, right. And to me, it's fascinating how you know these. 
huge World Bank projects and Danita projects and so forth are so eager to teach people that private property is the only way, you know, we can develop economies because you need to be able to have some kind of um, collateral for taking loans so you can invest in businesses and okay yeah right yeah um but that is how our economies work yes you know like when you accumulate wealth then when you have a lot of wealth to put up as collateral you can borrow the equivalent amount of wealth if you have little to put up on collateral then you can't exactly so yeah 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 but how do you i mean because as you said you know there's no need to romanticize this either because and that might be a little harsh to say but wealth and people is also <laughs> conflict yes you know wealth and money they sit there and they don't uh, yeah. ask you questions or yeah require you to reciprocate or yeah absolutely exactly but like democracy democracy is also a lot of work right. but would we give it up no thank you it's easier to have some dictator telling people what to do it partic participation and all that takes a lot of work and and likewise with this land system where you have to you know you have to be on good terms with the neighbors you actually have to check on them where you know where the border is because it's not set as such and and you um you you have the possibility to to expand if you if you need it people also have an interest in helping you if they see that you need food for your for your children your husband is sick um, because they have an interest that interest in in sort of keeping keeping the balance so as you say it's not without conflict it's a lot of discussions mm. and just the fact that there are rituals about these border conflicts show that there are many conflicts because otherwise you don't invent a ritual mm. right um, mm. yeah so so this is i mean this is one part of of the book that i'm thinking about and then i hope to also include this material about the missionaries that I have been doing, that I was doing, I've been doing field work among them for the last two years as part of another project with Maria Lau, the Ethics After Individualism. And, uh, you know, when the missionaries came and settled up in the Ik community, that was, in a way, it was a bit challenging uh, and sort of a classical anthropology missionary conflict these are my people mm. what are you doing here um, and um, the way that they settled and also came into these land conflicts with 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 people there i hope to to include that also because i want to write in a way a classical monograph about a place where it's not about one place one people but about the people who, who live there and use that place. Um, and those are also the missionaries. They're also the Turkana from Kenya. They're also NGO people who come to do their 
projects, they're also um, the military sent by the president to do his agricultural program and so forth. So, yeah. So in a way I'm hoping to uh, preserve some of what I think is good old anthropology that sort of goes deep into a place or an issue, but also give up some of our mistakes in a way to have this kind of one anthropologist, one people, one place uh, idea. Yeah. Uh, but it's not so easy. No. Well, it's anyway. Yeah. No, but it is giving up sort of a, a part of the uh, system or the order. Yeah. You know, then, then you have to figure out a way to study and write about things that don't necessarily add up or make sense. Yeah. And that's the point, but how do you do that? Yes. <laughs> you know? And that's, uh, the, that's, in a way, it's the usual good anthropological trouble and staying with that trouble, you know, to figure out, okay, what do we want to preserve here and what do we want to to give up? How do I want to to write this book together with... I was actually really hoping to write at least part of it together with with John Mark, who you met, who has just died uh, in, a, in a motorcycle accident. Uh, and he was one of the few who could actually right uh, and who was interested in e-culture and so forth um, but yeah it's that's really sad um, but I think that's that's another you know uh, issue that's very close to my heart this um, doing research together with local researchers, national researchers, uh, collaborating with, with universities in the South, because um, I really think this is the only way forward for, for anthropology. And I, I very much hope also that, you know, future generations will, will do that and take it seriously. And therefore I'm, I'm quite thrilled about the, the sort of decolonial, just at the moment in uh, in anthropology, because um, there's just something about you know the way we have been going to Africa, Asia, South America, um, doing our research, extracting our data, coming home, writing our thesis, getting our positions and having local students, local researchers just thinking, oh, I wish I had those resources, or I wish we could collaborate a bit and exchange. Uh, that I think, you know, it's, it really is time for a change. Yes. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's not easy. I mean, I have been in, in, involved in these kinds of research capacity building projects yeah, since my PhD, really, which was also part of one of those. Uh, and it's not easy because the terms, in a way, are unequal. 
you know, when you collaborate as a strong university from the north with a younger university in the south that doesn't have the same kind of resources and you try to collaborate as if you were on the same terms but you're not right. so it's it's always difficult but right. that's not a reason for not continuing and trying I think absolutely and, and at least attempting to change that to, to a certain extent yeah um, and uh, I wanted to ask you because now you know we are we're talking about the things that I think you've learned throughout that are really important. Um, and I wanted to ask you to maybe bring up a story or, a, or an event or um, an ethnographic moment, I think. is yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe you have one where some of these things that you've learned by now and continue to work with have sort of um, emerged for you or yeah. developed for you. Do you have such a story? Well, I was I was actually thinking about, you know, perhaps my first ethnographic moment when I was a child, which also may be one of the reasons why I pursued anthropology. Mm. Uh, when I was a child, my, my parents were teachers in Greenland, so we moved there um, when I was about 10 absolutely against it and resisted and I would stay with my grandparents and they told me all these stories about how wonderful it would be and I'll get plenty of friends from Greenland and mm. we read Knud Rasmussen and <laughs> you know yeah. um, so we, we we moved there and and I discovered that it was very difficult to get friends from Greenland and I was put in it was really an apartheid system oh. classes for Danish kids classes for Greenlandish kids and um, sort of understanding slowly that no this is not going to be like I imagined mm. it's absolutely fantastic beautiful in so many ways uh, and then one one event that of course has has really stayed with me um, also because I was young um, when I, I went to play badminton up in the sports arena and then I got out of there and and two big girls 18 19 years old uh, gave me a good old beating yeah. and um, of course being 11 something like that I was, you know, I just got beat up a little bit. Not too bad, but still a, a, a beating that I got home and was, you know, frustrated and angry and sad and all that. And, and so was my mom and we went up there and back and found them. And she sort of told them, you know, if you have to beat up someone, then beat up the adults. The kids don't have anything to do with this. And then understanding that have anything to do with what? Hmm. So it was like, you know, good old post-colonial beating, right? Um, right. When, when I was a child. And then being, you know, afterwards, my parents, of course, explained what it was all about, that it was not, I hadn't done anything wrong, but history 
the colonial history, right? Mm. Um, mm. But I think that was a... It wasn't an ethnographic moment in the sense that I realized something. No. I think rather it opened like an array of questions, you know. Right. How can this happen? Why does, why does that happen? And um, how can we understand this? Mm. Uh, yeah. I think that was, you know, retrospectively, I think that's so, something started my, my interest in anthropology there. Mm. Um, and in a way, perhaps my engagement with, with this research capacity building and uh, my enthusiasm about this moment of debating the colonial is sort of reaches back to that right. that moment. Um, so, yeah. You know. Yeah. And that sometimes, you know, um, yeah, I'm, I'm struck by your mom's way of saying, you know, the children don't have anything to do with this. Yeah. You know, like that's, a, it's, that's such a big part of the debate, I feel, around decolonization in, in, in all the forms that it, that, that it uh, comes in, in different conversations and debates. But the, the question of blame or the question of yeah. who did it? Mm. How, do we, how do we achieve some sort of balance which people talk to as a, in a way of a, an idea of justice that's very like, I don't know, eye for an eye kind of. Yeah. It is like placing blame and then we can fix it. The thing is, you know, that's not possible. First of all, because that history will always live on. So we're not going to get finished with yeah. it. We're yeah. not going to no. solve it. It's history. Yeah. So it's... It's all the way there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if we try to fix it, then we might, you know, do the same thing all over again. Yeah, and we, 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 we will make many mistakes, but, but still I think it's, there are so many invitations to engage with it rather mm. than saying, oh, that was so bad, it was, let's forget about this and just start over. Mm. Mm. We are already engaged in it yeah. and... Uh, Yeah. And I think, you know, as anthropologists, as anthropology students, this is really something we, we can, uh, we can in, engage with directly, even if, if we work here in, uh, in our own society by sort of using that good old anthropological tradition of taking our informants very seriously and involving them and letting them be the experts and, um, you know, not, not taking the whole ownership. Mm. And how, I mean, um, well, how do you do that? So uh, I know you said there's a lot of invitations to, because we're already engaged with this, um, but as students who then, you know, finish, finish five years of education, um, typically, and then um, come out and and seek to find a job. Some, only a few, um, you know, apply to to keep on researching and keep on working with 
directly with anthropology, right? Yeah. But in both ways, very different. How do you do that? So what could be your advice as to engaging with this? Yeah. And in a well, I think first, maybe when, when you are an anthropologist or an anthropology student and doing fieldwork somewhere, then taking the trouble to, for example, if when, when you're going to Tanzania and you do your project there, contact the, the um, anthropology department there and, and being in a discussion with the researchers who are there and who don't have the same resources and, and um, possi possibilities as, as we do, but then they have access to something else. Mm. And so beginning to develop those collaborations on a very kind of low-key, basic level. Mm. Um, and also, you know, <laughs> engaging with local authorities that are trying to to do something in your field and mm. um, I mean as anthropologists medical anthropologists maybe especially we've had this sort of tradition of doing doctor bashing always being against the the authorities and mm. um, instead of also engaging a little bit with them looking at so what it, what are they trying to do because they are they're not just against the patients they're actually trying to heal them to help them or uh, so i think you know engaging with with those who are there and who are also trying to to understand those people or some some phenomena Mm. It's a very basic way that you can just be a little bit more collaborative. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, taking collaboration very seriously in whatever you do. Um, is, is a kind of hands-on practical advice or yeah, an obvious thing to do. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, it, but it's um, there's something you said earlier on um, about ownership, or about you know that, and also actually about the. I think it both came from the land, your your yeah. your work on the book and your th thoughts about the book. And then also this idea about collaboration yeah. in research. But in this world, sort of, it's required of you to show ownership in all kinds of ways. Your yeah. CV, yes. a list of you, yeah. the things me, that me, you me, own. Me, 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 me. Yes. What I and did, I did. Yes, I did this and I did yeah. this. And, and this uh, publication and that. Exactly. And that's yeah. also, that's, it's a way of, it's even collateral for new opportunities, right? Exactly. Yeah. So when you do, you seek out these collaborations, and this is a, this may be a, a weird question, but you're also a senior professor, right? Uh, I have many publications together with other people, mm. and I've tried to make you know make it an argument in in my CV that this is me. You know, if you want somebody who is a solo 
person star rising to the, you know, then mm, that's not me. If, if, if collaboration can be a new kind of capital that we begin to value and, and give points in our little, you know, bureaucratic academic systems, then that's, that's what, what I would like to contribute to. So that actually giving up ego, giving up sort of uh, the more egocentric approaches to academia and to the kind of research we do and sort of becoming a little more socio-centric or eco-centric or whatever you want to call it. Mm. Um, I think I think that's where actually I think that is where things are are turning but in a way anthropology is very old-fashioned in the way that we've had this you know one one anthropologist one field mm. my monograph my research my PhD imagine if those could be collaborative mm. uh, wouldn't that be interesting uh, and in some ways we have stepped back a little bit. I mean, when I did my PhD uh, as part of one of these research capacity building projects that Copenhagen University ran, there was a Kenyan PhD student. We shared an office on Yangouma and we did the same kind of study. I in Uganda and he in Kenya. And at the moment I was very worried about, you know, but I'm, how can I be, be special and be me and my project and my research? But the ambition there was a kind of twinning that we would learn from each other and we would help each other. And now I can really see, you know, the, the benefit of that uh, for both of us. Um, and yeah, it, I, I would love more of those kinds of, uh, of projects. Mm. Uh, How great wouldn't it be that if you could apply for a PhD to three people? Yeah. Like have a PhD degree yes. together. Yes. That would be just amazing. That would be I think. really great. I and mean, because this is also lonely work if you don't do that. Like that's... It is. I yeah. mean, it's too much for one person and... I mean, the, the book we wrote about uh, AIDS in Uganda together, Susan White edited that, mm. together with Ugandan colleagues, that was, it was conceived as a kind of, that kind of social project where we actually, we did field work together, we wrote together, um, and, and it was, multi-sighted you know we ha you ha we had more eyes looking at the same things some researchers from uganda men women older younger from and from denmark older younger um, men women and i you know we've talked about multi-sided field work for a long time mm sort of going to different sites but what about multi-sited mm. you know where you have more eyes looking at the same 
phenomenon uh, doing collaborative research in that way. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, of course there are many projects like that, but, but for me that's also something that I really mm, I thrive in and uh, yeah, it's yeah. fun.